You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast on a Tuesday. We are recording this right around 11.15 on Tuesday afternoon, uh, a couple hours after Joe left the arena last night from the queue following the Cavs' loss against the Golden State Warriors. How are you feeling today, buddy? Well, uh, thank you for asking. Uh, I appreciate you looking after my well-being. <laughs> um, I'm feeling pretty good. You know, I, I uh, the, the first graders get on the bus at about... It's ten after eight here in Bay Village, or at least my son does. So I was able to go back to bed uh, to catch up a little bit. So I think I'm up to five hours sleep, which is a good night on a back-to-back for sure. So we'll take it. So I always have this conversation with my wife, right? She always says, I'll catch up on sleep, I'll make it up on the back end, and she kind of like adds it up if she takes a power nap to what she actually got the night before. So if she gets yeah. eight hours, she'll take a power nap for 45 or something like that. Then all of a sudden it's 8.45 in her own mind of how much she slept the night before. I don't think it actually works like that, though. I feel like there are different stages of sleep that are considered in this world, like quality sleep versus just, hey, I'm going to keep adding up little naps here or there. And then all of a sudden I get my eight hours for the night. I don't know that it works that way, but. Right. I mean, I think it's, it's probably more somewhere in the middle. In this job, um, you're just not going to get that eight to nine that they say right. you need on a consistent basis. And like, I think this is my fourth year, and my body is finally there to where I can function on, you know, two hours, yep. three hours. Like, the, the time that you get from going to the arena on the road having to catch that 6 a.m. flight or whatever. And then, you know, you get through and you get on the plane and then you close your eyes for however many minutes and, you know, you get home at 3 or 4 o'clock and take a nap. So, you know, it's just something that, that, that takes time. Um, the, the players get a lot more sleep than we do. Let's just leave it at that. That is true. I'm with you, too. Um, even on off nights, right, because I'm so used to getting out of the arena so late or staying up so late writing my stories, even on off nights, I find myself not being able to get myself to sleep at a normal, reasonable time because my body's just used to being up so late at this point. Yeah, I'm funny that way. Um, You know, I had a cup of coffee this morning uh, while getting my boy ready Uh and still went right back um, I can be up until two, five nights in a row, and then get home and go to bed at 11. Um, so, you know, I think 
I, I'm in a good place right now where I can sleep when the schedule allows. And I think, you know, that that is kind of where you need to be, not only with the travel, but just in this day and age of, like, you're not going by newspaper deadlines anymore, like the job's not over at 1130, yeah. you know? I mean, you know, you're constantly one of the last people to leave the arena, so you know <laughs> maybe better than almost anyone. But, I mean, this just goes till the job often goes till two. Last yeah. night it went till three. I mean, it's, you know, it can be that way. And obviously last night was a big one. It was Cavs against the Warriors. It was the second meeting between the two teams. It was a little bit different than Christmas because Steph Curry was there for Golden State. Isaiah Thomas, even though he's not 100%, he doesn't have his legs back. He's been complaining about the fact that the Cavs um, haven't been practicing, allowing him to get back in the flow. Um, So it was different than the Christmas Day meeting. But at the same time, Joe, you look at the final score, 118-108. Cavs lose by double figures at home, um, and after the game, obviously, you talk to a number of Cavs players who are wondering now, after the loss against the Warriors, if the problems are indeed fixable. So take us through that. Yeah. Um, you know, I, the funny thing is, in, in a vacuum, yep. if, you look at, if you look at Christmas, and then you look at this game, you really can't say, well, you know... The large stretches, the Cavs are right there. Right. Um, if they could, you know, throw the ball in the hoop a little bit more, like, I don't know. But when you take a step back and you look at, first of all, the Cavs-Warriors series, which is, as you mentioned last night, everything is viewed for the Cavs through that. Mm-hmm. It's always, can you beat the Warriors? Mm-hmm. And they've lost seven of eight. And, you know, they, <laughs> so when you, when you look at that, you know, losing seven of eight, looking at who the Warriors have, considering that they didn't even really play that well last night, um, you know, considering the steps in the 15 games, they're still the best team in the NBA record-wise, not just, like, opinion-wise, mm-hmm. record-wise. They're the best team in the NBA. And then you look at the, the, the Cavs look inward, and they look at how they're going to match up in the seven-game series, and they just don't see it, you know? Mm-hmm. They see too many defensive liabilities. Um, right now, they feel like they wonder if they have enough offensive firepower. And it's discouraging. Um, it just is, you know. And then, depending on who you're talking to, you know, players that have been here for four years and have gone to three consecutive finals, um, you know, the, the, the discussion of, well, this team is deeper than any of the previous three, that has kind of turned a bit. And now it's, do we even have what we had the last three years? And obviously that stems from Kyrie Irving not being here. Now, out there is that Isaiah Thomas? That's tough to say. Um, he's not an 8 for 21 shooter. And obviously he's been worse uh, than that right. in the previous two games. But he is, he does have liabilities as a defender. And while I thought when he was on the floor with the second unit, um, the Cavs did some smart things with him. Uh, in a in a starters on starters matchup, you know he's, he's he's vulnerable, and I think that was there. Um, so you just look at all of this, and you look at the losing. They've only won three games out of the last twelve. Mm-hmm. You look at all the pieces that they have, and wondering how they're going to fit 
you know, they still have guys coming back. I mean, Derrick Rose could return this week. You got Shumpert. <laughs> Where are they going to play? Right. Um, you know, Isaiah Thomas and, and, and Tristan Thompson are, are, you know, in Isaiah's case, an all-star, and Tristan, you know, a three-year, you know, viable <laughs> final center. <laughs> They're good players, but adding them into the mix has been bad, basically. Yeah. You know, it hasn't worked out. And so, you know, stemming all the way back from Griff's not here anymore, Kyrie's not here anymore, got this trade, don't know if it worked out. Isaiah's hurt, you know, all and down the line. There's just a, a laundry list of issues that players are wondering if they if, if it's fixable. Yeah, I mean, I had a, a takeaway very similar last night, too, and I think it's it's hard to overlook some of the good things that they did, right? Because Kevin Love talked about it. Dwayne Wade talked about it. I think LeBron talked about it, too. The Cavs did do some good things last night. Right, they kind of treated it like a postseason game from the standpoint of they did different things offensively with screening more, trying to attack Steph Curry in pick and roll, trying to attack Jordan Bell over and over and over again. I think that's a player that they feel like they can attack relentlessly, Jordan Bell, in this particular matchup. Uh, they feel deep down it seems like that they can get Steph Curry in foul trouble if they force him to guard or if they force him on LeBron in switches or Kevin Love in switches. So offensively, they did new things last night, things that they haven't done a bunch lately, Joe. Defensively, I thought they played with more energy, more effort. They forced 17 turnovers. They were more aggressive in the passing lanes. I thought J.R. Smith was more engaged defensively. Jay Crowder more engaged defensively. They played with a renewed focus on that end of the floor. It wasn't perfect. It's not going to be perfect with this team because they're not good enough defensively and because they have so many bad habits that playing with more effort is just not magically going to fix that. But in saying that, they did do some good things against the Warriors defensively. And you can go up and down the list, right, of these different things that you point to that were different than Christmas and that give you some kind of hope that maybe they can be competitive in the NBA Finals, and then you remind yourself that they could only do that for one half against the Warriors, and they would have to do it four times in seven tries in the NBA Finals, and they couldn't even do it to get a win. And all of those good things that they did last night, it only added up to a 10-point loss at home. And I think that's a sobering reality that they face here. No, I think it really is. And I think, I mean, there are really, there are two conversations, or maybe there's even more than that. And, and one of them is, and we've discussed this on the podcast before, but it's like the day that Kevin Durant chose to join the Warriors effectively changed this rivalry and the league, you know, for the foreseeable future. Yep. And I am not sure that there is a deal out there now or that there was one out there in the summer that the Cavs almost tried, almost got, and fell through to catch this team. I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know that you can align four players who are young enough and versatile enough to match the four that the Warriors have. And yes, they're also very deep. They have guys, role players to do stuff that, that's really, really, you know, top-notch. Yep. And the coaching is great system is great, but I, with Durant, I don't know. So, 
so that's the one question is just kind of this inevitability of okay you get back to the finals again um what's the answer to this team but the Cavs <laughs> the Cavs are seven and a half out uh hmm. of first place in the East and and we know that this isn't baseball um you know, almost easy to make the playoffs, and especially a team like the Cavs, they they can get back to the finals regardless of seed. But that is really telling to be that far out. Um, you know, not even at the All Star break. I mean, there are legitimate questions um, about the viability of this team. Now, you you could say that no one in the East just has the has the, the firepower to beat LeBron four times, but, um, you know, the Cavs, <laughs> you know, they, they have this defensive issue um, that has not been solvable on a night-to-night basis against different teams, and as you mentioned, the, the offense has flagged. So, you know, <laughs> there's these two discussions. It's what can they possibly do to flip the script in June? Mm-hmm. And then the more pressing thing right now is there are do they really have enough to even get there? Yeah. And I think that's kind of what people are starting to wonder now. It's such an interesting conversation, I think, because um, for those that believe the Cavs are going to get back to the NBA Finals, I get the sense, Joe, that it's not so much about the Cavs. And at this point, shouldn't you be looking for reasons to buy into them as opposed to say, well... The reason why I believe the Cavs are going to get back to the finals is because the rest of the teams in the Eastern Conference aren't good enough. Like, Boston's too young. I don't believe in Toronto because they throw up on themselves on the postseason stage. I don't believe in Washington because they're Jekyll and Hyde. I don't believe in Milwaukee because of this, 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 and this. I get the sense that it's not so much Cavs-related reasons why people believe the Cavs will be back to the finals— I just don't think that's something that inspires a whole lot of hope. Well, I, I, I have a different view on this. I, I think that the conversation still centers around the Cavs because, okay. give or take, give or take, we have seen this before. Okay. Um, you know, they were bad last January and last March mm-hmm. with a really nice February in between. Um, they recovered. They defended in the playoffs. They got to the final. Mm-hmm. Uh even in twenty, even in the year they won it all, I mean, they fired the coach. Uh, they had bad losses at Brooklyn and at home to Utah and Memphis. Mm. Um, and they, you know, the Warriors beat them by thirty-four or whatever, and they they actually won it all. So they're say, the idea is not well, Boston doesn't have it yet, or the Raptors are too young, or whatever. It's it's more of well. The Cavs do this, and they still have the best player, and, and that's even what what Ty said. But you know, kind of going back to the story from overnight, the Cavs are wondering again. The guys who've been here is this is different, okay. and and I think part of that is just sort of this natural reaction to what they've seen so far from IT. Mm-hmm. You know, they want to be positive with him. They know he's a two time All Star. Um, you know, they, they believe that he will get his legs back. Isaiah believes he'll get his legs back. But it's hard, in the meantime, not to say, well, wait a minute, he isn't Kyrie. Yeah. And 
you know, the Cavs, yes, we have LeBron. And LeBron covers up so many things that, that you know, so many holes. But Kyrie was killer. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> obviously one of the best players in the league. And, and Isaiah, the last year and a half, was too. But it was a totally different system. Yeah. And, you know, the Cavs so far haven't been able to recreate that. And maybe that's a conditioning thing. But so, so the point is, players are just wondering if Isaiah can equal what Kyrie brought to this team. And if he can't, that's a problem. Yeah. How would you answer that question? Is it different this year for you? You know, you mentioned the slog that the Cavs go through at this time where we, uh, or some, where some start to push the panic button and start to say, okay, this team is vulnerable, this one's a little bit different this year. And then, as you mentioned, they get back to the NBA Finals. I mean, Steve Kerr said last night, I would expect we've played them three times in the NBA Finals, and if we went back, they probably had two of these stretches each season, and then they still got back to the NBA Finals. But do you think it's different this year? Well, the, the one promise that I've kind of made to myself was after being convinced by them with their crappy play <laughs> at times during the regular season the last two years that uh, they weren't worthy of my vote uh, <laughs> when, it, when it comes time to pick the tournament, okay. um, you know, that we always do here at Cleveland.com. That, that this year I would not be fooled. Um, so I'm not ready yet to walk away from that, and I'm not going to pick against them yet. Um, but I see real problems at shooting guard and power forward, okay. starting five. Um, the bench, which was once just a beacon of strength, um, has been neutralized. Mm-hmm. And morale and attitudes are low. And, by the way, you know, in this very small period of time, point guard is an issue. And those are all problems that did not play out to this degree before. So, is it different? I don't know yet, but I am alarmed because the players are wondering if it is. Mm. Okay, in your piece, um, according to a league source, you have a quote, rotations are awful. IT is so much worse than Kyrie defensively, it's insane. There is not a great feeling anywhere. They need to limp into the all-star break and get away from each other. And again, this is all after losing to the Warriors last night, and this is all in part about looking at the big picture and their chances of winning a championship because this team was assembled to win a championship. So if we start with the first part of that, rotations are awful. What do you think that is speaking to? Is that as simple as playing more Tristan Thompson and less Channing Frye, or is it a little bit deeper than that? Yeah, I think it's a lot deeper than that. Okay. I think it's a question of who should be starting. Um, oh. I think I think that they, I think there's real questions about Ty having gotten away from playing matchups. Hmm. Um, especially when, when Mozgov and Thompson were here, which uh-huh. that was the last time they won, um, won at all. You remember, Ty would, would play a matchup-based lineup. Um, Against super big, you know, bruising, brawling centers, they'd start Timo. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when it was time to go a little bit more athletic, a little bit smaller, they'd go Tristan. Mm-hmm. And, and on and on. Um, they don't do that now. You know, they're sticking with Kevin at the five. They're sticking with Jay at the four for now. They're sticking with JR at the two. And 
that's that. And so there's been kind of a stubbornness on that one end. And then this idea about chanting in the bench, and, I mean, I know that is, um, that, that's, a, that's a sore spot to the fans. Um, and you can say, certainly, when Channing was playing, mm. albeit for just a few minutes, they were winning. And mm. now he's not playing, and now they aren't. But I think Ty kind of spelled out a little bit better yesterday when he was talking about how, because of Isaiah's minutes restriction, now he's playing more second unit, mm. which is kind of messed things up as far as what they were doing. You know, they're using Corver less, actually. He's coming in later in games, which is interesting. Um, you know, because of IT and some of his limitations, they've had to play Jeff Green more with the first year, but out of position, almost guarding the point, um, which is affected what's going on with the bench. Uh, you brought up a couple of great points last night in, in conversation when we were sitting together, uh, just about, you know, Ty's lineup to start the fourth quarter, which I think, Ashley, you should explain for our listeners because I think that is indicative of one of the complaints that, that we're fielding privately from, from players. Which one? I, I made a lot of points. I <laughs> know uh, about how the, um, you didn't like the lineup uh, in early in the fourth quarter. The Cavs were so restricted offensively. Um, and I feel like there, there are things that they can do um, to become a better offensive team and reach a higher offensive ceiling that, that Ty, for some reason, just won't do. And I don't know if it's because he's trying to work certain uh, combinations with Tristan Thompson and Isaiah Thomas, or if it's because he's trying to figure out whether or not Tristan can actually flourish in this in this role that they're trying to use him in coming off the bench. And, and when Tristan was out, the Cavs actually learned that, that Channing worked, and now they got to see if Tristan can. And if he can't, maybe then they go back to Channing. But but to me, the biggest problem was like you had Dwayne Wade, Tristan Thompson, and Jeff Green on the court at the same time to start the fourth quarter against the Warriors. That was an opportunity with Steph and, and, and Kevin Durant on the bench at the same time where the Cavs needed an offensive jolt. And they needed an opportunity to make up some ground before those guys got back on the court. And I just feel like with with Tristan Thompson, Dwayne Wade, and Jeff Green, there's not a lot of spacing. Um, teams can play Isaiah Thomas different because of that. Or teams can play Kyle Korver different because of that. Like, for example, Tristan Thompson was setting screens for Kyle Korver. All of that off-ball movement with Korver that at times gives a lot of teams, lesser teams, problems. Um, because they don't know exactly how they want to play that with Kyle. Um, but with Tristan Thompson setting the screen for Kyle, the Warriors are just going to switch everything. And chances are other teams that have the proper personnel are just going to switch that too and say, okay, we'll um, switch that so that we worry more about Kyle coming off those screens. And if we switch a smaller guy on Tristan Thompson... He's not somebody who's offensively capable of actually making us pay for that particular switch. Even though it looks like a mismatch, he doesn't have the offensive arsenal to take advantage of that. So I think teams are going to keep doing that as long as Tristan's in there alongside Kyle. And I think it's going to limit Kyle's effectiveness because of that. So would you say that's interesting because it kind of plays... I don't know if you want to say into or if it plays exactly against what Ty said about that very thing. He said, 
he was explaining what you were explaining. Yeah. And then he said, as a result of that, Tristan was getting clay on his back. And yeah. he liked the look of throwing the ball into Tristan, you know, against clay. And the Cavs would have to do more of that. But is that the answer? No, because Tristan's not good enough. So, like, normally... Okay, let's let's go back to the first quarter against the Warriors, right? The Cavs kept doing all of that pick action because they were seeking mismatches. All of that off-ball movement, all of those picks, they were trying to get LeBron matched up against Steph or LeBron matched up against Jordan Bell or Kevin Love in the post against maybe Klay Thompson, maybe Jordan Bell, maybe Steph Curry. Like, that's a plus matchup. Because if you have LeBron against those guys, you feel great as the Cavs about that. Or if you have Kevin against those guys, you're like, all right, he's polished enough as a back-to-the-basket player that even though Clay is a tough defender and he can hold his own at times, Kevin Love against Clay Thompson is a plus matchup when you're talking about post-up opportunities. But if you're running offense to get a switch of Tristan Thompson, like, what does that even do for you? Tristan Thompson's not good enough to exploit that matchup over and over and over again because he's not polished enough offensively. Like, maybe he's going to score once against Clay, and you're like, oh, cool, he scored against Clay. He showed a back-to-the-basket move. But if you keep doing that, like, you're running offense through Tristan Thompson? What's the point of that? Yeah, and I think, <laughs> I don't know, I mean, I think if you asked him, I think he would say that's not his game, um, that he's more of a, you know, clean it up type right. of guy uh, off other people's misses. And so this is this is indicative of, you know, these pieces, you know, good players, really good players, um, haven't found a fit. I guess the, the one thing, Chris, that I keep, that I keep coming back to, because, um, you know, I the, the, the story that we have on today about this discontent, um, you know, there's the same, uh, ESPN and the Athletic have the same thing, um, you know, I wrote last week that there had been some griping about lineups, about LeBron moving the ball or not moving the ball, all that, a couple other things. But I do keep coming back to at one point this team won 18 of 19, yeah. which is not an accident. It's not an accident. No. You can't, you can't stumble into that. Um, so something is in there. Um, I just can't. I, I'm having a little bit of a hard time fully grasping how they got so far away from that so quickly. And you can say it's Isaiah getting him involved. You can say it's schedule, like as far as like the strength of schedule. Yep. You can say it's the, the road, all that stuff. But they're just not playing, man. They're just not playing the way they used to play. Yeah. And, you know, it's setting off a lot of but I think the the thing that was interesting in that, and, and I do think there were a lot of reasons for that that streak that they went on. And and again, I I don't think Channing Frye is going to be the difference between a championship and losing a championship. Um, but in that stretch, the Cavs were so reliant on their offense, they went through a stretch, Joe, of twenty six straight games scoring at least one hundred points. Yeah. And they're a worse offensive team when Tristan is on the court instead of Channing. I don't think there's anybody that would disagree with that. Um, no. I think the reality is some of the things that you said at the beginning of this, and the players have noticed too, the Cavs probably do not have the personnel to even be a good defensive team. Forget great. Even right. be a good defensive team. 
because there are just too many defensive liabilities, including five foot nine Isaiah Thomas, who had an individual defensive rating last night against the Warriors in his first matchup against the Golden State Warriors. Isaiah Thomas's individual defensive rating was 128.7. 128.7. I look back at the box score from last year's NBA Finals. As bad as Kyrie was, he was never that bad. So there's a huge difference between Kyrie and Isaiah defensively. There's a different level of bad attached to Isaiah. Yeah. And then you combine the fact that J.R. Smith has taken a step back defensively, and now he's in the same backcourt with Isaiah. And you just look at the personnel and you say, this team does not have the personnel to be a good defensive team unless they make a move or two. So I think the best approach for them is probably go offensive heavy. And that includes more Channing Fry than Tristan Thompson. And it's not because Channing is going to go and score 15 points a game or something. It's just the ceiling that the offense as a whole can reach with him out there instead of Tristan restricting things offensively. And I think that's where, in that stretch, that's where people are pointing to Channing Fry over Tristan Thompson is how they won games leaning on their offense during that stretch. Yeah, and, and I think, I mean, that is such a good point, and, and I think it's, it, it may hit close to home here uh, as far as, you know, one of the key issues wrong with the Cavs, which is I don't know that, I don't know that Ty has quite fully embraced his own team's identity this year. Interesting. And that is their only, their only option is to score. You could say, uh, and you can be, you'd be right. If you point, if you look at that winning streak, they were, you know, rated sixth to tenth defensively, mm. um, and that had to do with some, you know, they were there was coverage, uh, they were shoring up coverage, they were trying harder, um, but like you said, they scored over a hundred points in twenty seven consecutive games, twenty six, whatever it was, and ties to all the time that. It, for this team, good offense makes better defense. Um, but then, you know, he starts last night with the defensive lineup. He starts the fourth quarter in Indianapolis and plays the whole fourth quarter with the defensive lineup. This That's not the team. Yeah. Like, this, you know, this, this team can't get a lead and then, you know, hand off three times to punt. Like, they've got to press the gap, and when they don't, that, that's when they get in trouble. Um, you know, it goes that I know we talked about this maybe even as early as, as late as last week. Yep. That when they traded for Isaiah, the, the, the company line was, well, you know, to beat the Warriors, you have to score. Yep. And he's a, he, he is the best scorer we could have gotten for, for Kyrie. Okay, well, then that is, that is your mantra for this season. You have to score and score and score and score and hope that the scoring create effort defensively that's enough to get by. Yep. And they've gotten away from that right now. Yep. And I think it would be one thing, Joe, if Tristan Thompson was so good defensively that he was changing what the Cavs were doing defensively. Like, all of a sudden, the Cavs had this rim protector, right? Or all of a sudden, the Cavs had this dude who could switch on the guards and then teams weren't scoring at will against the Cavs. But even in this stretch, since Tristan came back 
And I know he was working his way back from a significant calf injury. But even in the stretch, since Tristan came back, it's not like they've taken these huge steps forward defensively where you can say, okay, well, we don't need as much offense because our defense is so good. The, the bottom line is the Cavs can't afford any kind of offensive lineup that is going to put them in an offensive rating around 100 or 105. They need an offensive lineup that's going to give them an offensive rating of like 110, 115, 120 to overcome all of the abundance of issues that they have defensively. And unless you're getting great stellar play from Tristan defensively, where he's giving you what maybe DeAndre Jordan could give you if you traded for him or something like that, then it just doesn't make a ton of sense to play him. And I don't mean to pick on Tristan Thompson, but it's just, as you said, it's the reality of how this team was built, and, and Tristan just doesn't fit that. Yeah, you know, and, and the thing is, is I actually feel like his last six, seven, eight games, he's actually been really good for what he does, but it's not. It's, it's more about fit. And then the other component to this, beyond Tristan, and let's say, okay, the Cavs agree with us, and Ty agrees with us, and they need to score and have the lineup score. Well, you know, that is that also isn't going to work until <laughs> the point guard can can play the way the point guard was, is used to playing. And you know, I mean, last week uh, in his two games, um, I mean, he he was he was over seventeen in the first half. I mean, there's there's no way that team can can recover from that. And, yeah. You know, he was eight of twenty one last, but so. It, it, it's really hard right now, and, you know, I think that there is some light at the end of the tunnel as far as getting back to the finals. I do. Uh-huh. Uh, I think this will get better, but when, when these people say it's going to get worse before it gets better, that may be true, too, because, you know, until they embrace that identity and until Isaiah is Isaiah, they don't have it's going to be hard to overcome these decisions. You mentioned um, you expect them or you think they'll get back to the finals. Um, so let's say it's the Cavs-Warriors again, round four. Um, my big takeaway last night is that the Cavs just aren't good enough. In a seven-game series, they just aren't good enough to win that series as currently constructed. Do you agree with that? Yeah. Okay. So yeah. do you think... Do you think there's a player that the Cavs could realistically acquire at the trade deadline that could close the gap to make that a more competitive series? Well, um, I, I think that they they need a shooting guard who is more dynamic, who plays more at both ends. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I'm sorry to say that for Jr. Uh, I, I would love to see him revert back to the player that he was and I think if he was on the podcast right now he would tell us that's not my role I don't have a place in this offense anymore yep well okay but to to, to make this a series with the Warriors you need four guys four that can do everything yep and the Cavs don't have that and JR was supposed to be one of those guys who can do everything score a little who can defend and I think if you if you put if you put someone in that spot who is more of a scoring option, and you have Isaiah and that guy and LeBron, and then you have someone at the four, whether it's Jeff Green or whether it's 
you know, Jay Crowder, who they have there now. So, like, those are your four versatile guys that can, that can, that can, you know, do some, that can do a little bit of, uh, of things, you know, at least in terms of offense. I, I know we're talking about Isaiah, but then, yeah. you know, Kevin, Kevin can do a lot offensively and defensively. He can handle the five against the Warriors. So, that would make it closer. Um, you know, realistically, I don't see how they upgrade both spots, the two and the four. And, you know, the names you and I were tossing around last night, I, I wasn't buying it. So, <laughs> I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know who it is that they get there. Um, but that's it, it's a sore spot that teams, are, they're, they're picking that scam. I was I was trying to look at at some of those options that that could be available in terms of two way wings to upgrade over Jr. and and I think you're right on that because if you get into a seven game series against the Warriors, like right now Golden State would plan on starting Clay Thompson on Isaiah Thomas and feeling like his size, his athleticism, his strength would bother Isaiah. And even though Isaiah missed some open shots last night. I think the Warriors feel like they can make him an inefficient score, whereas they were terrified of Kyrie and the things that he could do, even when guarded against Clay. So they would start Clay against Isaiah, and they'd probably start Steph against JR, feeling like JR is not involved in the offense enough to put Steph in foul trouble, or is not involved in the offense enough to make Steph pay for some of his defensive weaknesses. So if you got somebody better than JR who could be more involved offensively, now all of a sudden maybe the Warriors have to put Clay on that guy and then Steph on Isaiah, and it changes some of the matchups a little bit. I think it changes what, what the Cavs can do offensively a little bit. But I was looking at the names, Joe, and it's like I came up with Wes Matthews, who I really like. I think he's tough. He's physical. He can knock down threes. You can post him up a little bit. He's a feisty defender, but I don't know how much he moves the needle, honestly. Kent Bazemore is another one that comes to mind. Courtney Lee from the New York Knicks. I was looking at Tabo Cephalosha, but he's probably going to have knee surgery, so he's probably right. off the list. So it's just like you start you start looking at those names, and they're probably upgrades over JR, and they can probably do a little bit more than JR can offensively and defensively. But it's like... How much does that really gain you? Right. How about Harrison Barnes, one of your favorite players? I love Harrison Barnes. Like, I think he's perfect in a series against the Warriors because of his ability to switch everything, play the four, play the three. But at the same time, like, would the Warriors implement the defensive strategy that the Cavs used in the NBA Finals a few years ago where they said, we can get away with Kyrie against Harrison or we can get away with Tristan Thompson against him and almost dare him to shoot so that it's not Steph, it's not Clay, it's not anybody else. Would the Warriors yeah. do that same thing, and would the Cavs be able to survive that? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. We're, what we're saying right now is what they've got, they couldn't survive that. Yeah, that's right. I know we always talk about the Brooklyn pick, and I know how much you love it. Um, my whole thing is this, like... I think the Cavs would be hesitant to trade the Brooklyn pick. Do you agree with that? Just like straightforward. I, I do, and I just before you go any further, though, I just you know I know you and I are on the same page on this, but the thing that drives me crazy about the Brooklyn pick is that 
the discussion around it is just not intelligent. Thank you. It's Thank not, you. It's just, it's not as simple as, oh, my, oh they got a straight stick. Well, okay, for who? Yes. You know? Yes. I mean, this, is a, this is a really deep draft. And, you know, even LeBron, who, let's just be honest, LeBron wants them to trade stick. But, you know, LeBron separately has gone, has done backflips over how good Donovan Marshall was. He was the 14th pick in the draft. Yeah, Donovan Mitchell. Like, yeah, Donovan Mitchell. Excuse me. The 14th pick in the draft. Like, the Cavs are going to have a better spot than that. <laughs> like, this is a super deep draft. Yeah. And so, you know, if you want to trade the pick so you can beat the Warriors, fine. Name me a player who comes back and returns for that for that pick, and I, I'm, I'm sure Dan will consider it. Thank you. Thank you. That's exactly what I was thinking, too. It's like everyone's like, oh, my gosh, the Cavs won't trade the Brooklyn pick. They're not doing uh, LeBron justice. They're not doing this roster justice. They always talk about going all in, all in, all in. And I'm like, it's not the fact that they won't trade the Brooklyn pick. It's the fact that there is no player currently available that's worthy of using the Brooklyn pick on. Like, who do you want to use the Brooklyn pick on? Kent Bazemore? Like, come on. You want to use it on Wes Matthews? You want to use it on DeAndre Jordan? DeAndre Jordan? The Los Angeles Clippers are a better defensive team statistically by five points per 100 possessions with DeAndre Jordan on the bench. DeAndre Jordan can't play in fourth quarters because he has no offensive game because teams go hack a Jordan. He can't make free throws and he probably doesn't fit in a seven-game series very well against Golden State. At least in the past with the Los Angeles Clippers, he hasn't fit very well. People have turned DeAndre Jordan, Joe, into this new coming of Kevin Garnett, who's like defensive player of the year candidate, best rim protector in the NBA. This isn't Rudy Gobert here. And on top of that, he's got a player option following this season. So potentially, you would be renting a guy who doesn't move the needle all that much against the Warriors. You would be renting that guy for the Brooklyn pick. Like That doesn't make any sense to me. He's not worth no. the Brooklyn pick. No, he's not. I mean, he, he, and, and I think I think the Cavs agree. I think the Cavs believe that. Um, is he worth their pick? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, maybe. But again, I mean, <laughs> you know, does he, the, all that time we just been talking about what this team's identity really is, um, is, does, is DeAndre Jordan enough? to change the identity of this team so they can be more of a defensive-minded club. The numbers you just described suggest that he isn't. Right. And so, you know, if you're trying to beat the Warriors, you know, (laughs) maybe it is that wing that gives you the best shape. Yeah. I mean, I think, this is just me, I think if Paul George became available and Oklahoma City said, you know, bleep this, we're not as good as we thought we were going to be, uh, PG is going to go to Los Angeles in the offseason. Here he is. Who wants him? I think the Cavs would be in the mix, and I think they would use the Brooklyn pick on a guy like PG, don't you? I think there's more of a case for it just because they tried so hard to get him before. Right. Um, they tried so hard in the summer. The dynamics would be the same. You'd add Paul George in with a little bit of time to incorporate him. You'd get to the playoffs with a bunch of stars. Um, and then you would hope that his athleticism, you know, puts you close, much, much, much closer to on par with the Warriors and, and you see what happens. So, yeah, like, that's the scenario. Or, like, 
something outrageous like, you know, the Pelicans decide. Yeah. <laughs> That they're done with Anthony Davis, which is just not. I don't believe that that is now the time for that for them. Right. Um, you know, then you say, well, okay, or if the if the Thunder, you know, whatever, whatever the case, uh, somebody like that, sure. But otherwise, like you, there's just there's more nuance to this than you know the Cavs need to win now. Uh, trade. Exactly right, and I think um, part of the value of that Brooklyn pick, Joe, as you alluded to, is because they have it, they can use their own first-round pick. And their own first-round pick is not significantly valuable, but it's a first-round pick. And if you attach that to something else, I don't know, maybe Channing Frye's expiring contract to make money uh, match up, or maybe it's Tristan Thompson to make money match um, Amon Shumpert, Chetty Osman, somebody thinks, hey, there's a young developing player. Whatever the case may be, like there are more players that are available on the market right now that I think fit in a trade involving the Cavs' own first-round pick as opposed to the Brooklyn pick. And because they have the Brooklyn pick, maybe that makes them a player for some of those names that we talked about, even though they're probably not going to create huge headlines, and even though not everybody is going to jump and scream and be excited about a Kent Bazemore type or Courtney Lee type, those guys fit in a package with the Cavs pick more than they do a Brooklyn pick. Yeah, I, I agree, and, and I, think that's a, a, I think that that's an excellent point, and, um, you know, that... I had it in the story this morning. You've seen it elsewhere that, you know, league sources expect the Cavs to do something. Um, I think what you described and, you know, the, the existence of the Brooklyn pick and what that means for the Cavs' own pick, um, coupled with some of their expiring contracts, that is what makes them able to do something. Mm-hmm. But, you know, just to finish the point, it would have to be a trade that it's probably not available to use, actually use Brooklyn Pick. Yeah. Ready for some questions here? We've got some questions on Twitter. Sure, let's do it. Okay. Hey, you guys. And it's hashtag hey, you guys from my man Michael here. Uh, could Good. starting like Kyle Korver with Kevin Love at center unlock him the same way Channing Fry unlocks Korver when he plays center with the second unit? Yeah, I mean, maybe. Um, you know, it's the same idea, right? I, I, I just think... You know, as I mentioned, they're playing Corver less right now. Yeah. Um, and they have never, They, I mean, he's been here now for a full year. They've never started him. I think they started him one game. So they are totally averse to starting him. And now, you know, he's going on 37 years old. Um, you know, they, they don't they don't want him to play starters minutes. So you've seen that out there a couple times, like, hey, try Kyle, but I just, they, I mean, that's one of the moves that they have been totally against. So if they did it, it would be a surprise. This one comes from Mike. He says, what about the Cavs trading the Brooklyn pick or something else for Zach Levine and Bobby Portis trying to think outside oh the box? <laughs> the, the, no, the Bulls, the Bulls would have no interest in that. Uh, you know, the, the Bulls are not going to trade Zach Levine. They're thrilled to have him. Yeah. Um, they would not <laughs> Uh, next. <laughs> I was to that point. I was actually talking to Ramona Shelburne from ESPN, who was at, I believe, 
the Chicago Bulls game where Zach Levine made his season debut. And she was yeah. telling me that they in Chicago are selling Zach Levine as the centerpiece of the Jimmy Butler deal. Yeah. So, I mean, that's what they think of Zach Levine in Chicago. That's how much they think of him. So I don't think the Cavs are going to be able to get him. I'm with you. Next one. Um, William says, who has historically been successful even guarding Kevin Durant that could be available in a trade? (laughs) Nobody, (laughs) right? Kevin Durant is a four-time scoring champion. I, I don't think the guy who can defend him is actually out there. Yeah, well, I mean, maybe he plays for the Cavs. Like, I, oh yeah, I, sure. I, I wish he. I wish they would do that. I, I would. I don't know that I agree any longer with this idea of playing LeBron off of him. I, I, I think you know. The, the, I think the best option may be just play LeBron on Durant. See how it goes. Okay. Um, this one comes from Chris. Hey, you guys. Uh, he says, how much uh, of the Cavs' success failure versus the Warriors in the NBA Finals will play a part in LeBron's decision this offseason? <laughs> um, well, <laughs> if everything goes... This is interesting. I, I how much you're hesitating right now has me very, very intrigued by this answer coming up. Yeah, I mean, because it, it's all about where LeBron feels most comfortable. Okay. Um, you know, he's obviously, from a familial standpoint, is comfortable here. Uh-huh. Um, you know, throughout the organization are people very close to him, uh, you know, from his trainer to, you know, the man who's been kind of beside him his whole career. Um, you know, one of, like, the Cavs chief scout is... You know, close to so, he, so all that is good. He's got the notoriety, the fame, the power in the community. He's in the organization, all that. But it's clear, uh, you know, because he's, he doesn't feel, he's wondering how comfortable he is with the direction of the organization. Mm-hmm. And I think that is, is what is more important than even what happens in the fight. Um, hmm. If, if they do some things now to make themselves better, yep. um, and then they get to the finals and you lay all the cards out on the table, I think LeBron makes uh, a reasoned, informed decision about his, what is best for him personally and professionally on the back end of his career. I really do. Uh-huh. Um, if things remain on the current trajectory, just in terms of how things feel in the locker room, how the relationship is between the front office and LeBron. Uh, you know, <laughs> whether they get to the finals or not, uh, and whether they win a game or two in the finals or not, like, I think LeBron is going to have some real questions mm-hmm. um, just about where this team is headed. So, you know, I think it's bigger than just what happens come June. I think that's an interesting way to look at it. I agree with that. Um I think the other question here, Joe, is what would he be looking for in his next stop from a roster standpoint that the Cavs can't offer? Oh, right. And so that, that's a whole other thing. I mean, that, that's, that, that's a whole other thing. Like, yeah. is, it still, is that still what it's about for him? Like, he has said 
winning's most important, and people close to him have said that. But he has also said he has nothing left to prove. Mm-hmm. And everything else is great. Um, and so, you know, what team out there can give him a better roster? Well, if he went to the Rockets, I guess, that right. would be one. Um, I don't think the Lakers can put together anything that would compete with the Warriors. I really don't. Hmm. Uh, and so if LeBron wanted to go there, it would be about living in L.A. and living there full time and being closer to his business ventures, which are based largely there, things of like that. So, you know, I mean, people have like kind of quietly grumbled about the Sixers and their roster. So that just doesn't seem like a place LeBron would go to end his career. He has no ties to that city whatsoever um, from a city standpoint. You know, there's the Heat have an interesting roster. Uh-huh. They're playing well right now. It's warm there, you know, tax-free, that kind of thing. But, yeah, I mean, that <laughs> I, I think I, I just, outside of the Rockets, like, you, you, have to, you have to wonder about, who gives him a better chance, but you know, as of this particular second, the chances don't look all that great here, so yeah, you know, that's why we gotta go back to let's see how this all unfolds. And I know if maybe you... he's wrong. Maybe LeBron's wrong, and these other guys are wrong. Yeah, maybe. You know, and the, like, maybe, maybe they're all wrong, and they're overreacting, and Isaiah's gonna score, and they're gonna start beating teams in March, and they're gonna go through the East again, and they get to the finals, and they lose that's a reasonable outcome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I could see that. And and maybe they make a trade at the deadline that we can't see right now. And maybe it's for the Brooklyn pick or maybe it's not for the Brooklyn pick that we can't see right now uh, that significantly moves the needle when it comes to their chances against the Warriors. I'm, right. I'm, I mean, if you go back to, what was it, 2015, you know, they traded for Timofey Mozgov, Amon Shumpert, and J.R. Smith. That didn't create a whole ton of headlines, but it transformed their roster. Yeah, it did. So, so who knows? Maybe there's something out out there right now where they're looking at saying, "How how can we transform this roster with a couple of moves like that?" It gives us things that we don't currently have with this roster right now, and it's going to make us different, and therefore going to make us better. Absolutely. Um, one more thing on the LeBron thing. Uh, I, I know that when he left Miami, there were so many different layers to that decision. But but there had to be some basketball reasons. And, and he left behind a team that went to four straight NBA Finals that he knew could probably get back to the NBA Finals if he stayed there with Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh. I don't think there was any way, Joe, coming to the Cavs, that he could have honestly said, hey, I'm going to Cleveland. They give me a better chance right now than Miami does. So... I wonder if there's a team out there, uh, maybe it's Los Angeles and a whole ton of moves that they can make around the roster, or maybe it's somebody else. Like you, you mentioned Houston. Like Houston probably gives the Cav, uh, LeBron a better chance than the Cavs right now. Um, but the Cavs didn't give LeBron a better chance than Miami. It was the fact that the Cavs gave him a higher ceiling, I think, than Miami because of a younger Dwayne Wade-type guy in Kyrie and assets to pull off a trade to bring in a third member of a big three, and that was Kevin Love, and that raised the ceiling. So I wonder if there's a team out there that's kind of lurking that is in the same kind of situation that maybe is not better than the Cavs right now, and you can't say, okay, that team's better, gives LeBron a better chance of beating the Warriors, but 
an opportunity to get better. Well, yeah, and so that's where you say if you're if you're looking at employees from that perspective, you look at Philly. Right. Um, if Joel Embiid stays upright, I mean, he is a monster, ridiculous player. Um, you've got Ben Simmons, who LeBron is close to personally, who is this giant point guard. Um, you could play LeBron full time on the wing. They've got a shooter over there now right. uh, with Redick. Um, they've got fun young players on the bench, and so yeah, I mean, so so that I mean that's you know I think Jeff Zilgit made that case uh, about the Sixers as a sleeper, and and that would that would be why. And I think the Lakers kind of have that same kind of situation going on because let's say LeBron goes in free agency to the Lakers and and Paul George joins him, and obviously they'd have to work the cap to make both those guys fit. So now you've got LeBron and Paul George on the same roster, and you have all the guys that they've drafted recently in the top 10, in the top 5. Maybe they use them as a centerpiece and pull off a trade for somebody else. I don't know who that could be. Um, Just the way that the Cavs did using Andrew Wiggins to get Kevin Love. They're in the West, and that would suck because then you have to play the Warriors just to get to the Finals. Um, and then you have to build around that big three that you have with some other ancillary parts, and who knows if they even have the cap room or the means. Yeah, maybe. Uh, you know, <laughs> you disagree. I mean, I, I think I think the Warriors <laughs> have a lot. To do. I, I just, yeah. uh, you know, and, and and I see what you're saying is that there's you're asking me about a team that we don't see that could magically put together quickly something that that could compete with the Warriors, and it's. You know, I, I don't know that the that the scenario you've laid out with the Lakers is actually plausible. Okay. Um, you know, the things I've read about this suggest that it isn't, but, you know, there's always homework still to be done there, um, and there's always things that we haven't seen. But the Warriors are just such a formidable force right now. I, you know, I, if he if his goal is to win championships, it, it's hard, you know. Like, then, then I think that really narrows where he can go um, to take them on. All right, last question. Um, have you heard any rumblings about the Cavs being interested in Lou Williams? He would seem like a perfect upgrade over J.R. Smith. Well, I, I don't know about the Cavs being interested there. What I have heard is you, you some reports, reports about the, the Lakers beginning contract uh, negotiations with, with Lou, um, you know, to bring him back uh, beyond this year. Um and that that may be a, uh, you know, source, you know, told me that that may actually be a smokescreen, um, and that the, that the Clippers would still be interested in trading him. So, you know, um, I mean, uh, he, he fits kind of what we were talking about earlier. Um, he's been a bench player out there. So, you know, is he starter worthy here? That remains to be seen, but that's, that's what I have on that. All right, there it is. Uh, the postmortem from last night's Cavs game against the Warriors. They lose again last night. Second loss against the Warriors. Seventh in the last eight tries against the Warriors. Is that right? Seven of eight they've lost Seven against the Warriors. Yikes, my goodness. All right, we'll see uh, if the Cavs can turn things around. Their magic elixir is coming up on Thursday. The Orlando Magic, the team that they've been able to pick on during this stretch, Joe. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> 